Hey everyone, welcome to Simplexity, where we simplify the complexities of life and bring a little curiosity and contemplation to meaningful, sometimes difficult conversations. I'm your host, Allison Stoner. In the midst of every facet of life shifting, I've been moderating and hosting conversations across platforms. One recent interview really stood out, and that's my chat with Alok Vadmenin during Into Action. Into Action is a celebration of community power and cultural resistance. Last year, out of curiosity, I heard about it and attended the pop-up exhibit in LA and was floored. They bring together prolific and talented visual artists, young activists, musicians, poets, policymakers, and community leaders, so maybe you've seen people tweeting or talking about it. And this year, they offered more than 24 hours of virtual panels, live performances, and dynamic community-building activities. Their mission is very clear, to lift voices, have brave conversations, and face the pain and beauty of the last few years and get to work planning and organizing a better future. Now, I've personally been going through a tumultuous few weeks, and frankly, it hasn't been easy to remove myself from my own inner spiraling. But the world outside is moving on, and a part of doing the work is knowing how to show up amidst your own messes. Speaking to myself here. Having a conversation with someone who so vividly paints a vision for the future where everyone lives with dignity, freedom, and hope left a major impact. Alok, being the linguistic savant and multifaceted human they are, has a savory way with words that turn these popular phrases of the moment like lifting voices, asserting rights, reclaiming power into vivid, supple, touchable experiences. That or funny catchphrases like calling the gender binary the ultimate TVT. While we've spoken on Simplexity briefly about LGBTQIA issues, we haven't really gone past the surface or dived into someone's lived experience. With Alok, we did some of that digging. We discussed living beyond the gender binary, the Western-specific concepts of gender, uh, seeing humans beyond two boxes, and the fact that trans and gender nonconforming people have been rejected historically even by the LGBT community. And we talked about the state of society as differentiated by generations and facets of the human experience overall. If you don't follow me on Twitter or Instagram and you missed the chance to hear Alok, I wanted to share that conversation with you today. After you listen, I'd really love to hear your thoughts as I recognize this is still a very controversial subject and it calls into question what we all fundamentally know and believe. Simplexity is a space for these paradigm-challenging talks and I hope this sparks some great contemplation. Enjoy! glad to have everyone here today. My name is Allison Stoner. I'm an actress, writer, producer, and host of Simplexity Podcast. And I am here today with Alok, who is a gender nonconforming writer and performance artist who's internationally renowned for their poetry, prose, comedy, performance, fashion design, and portraiture uh, that explores themes of gender, and race, trauma, belonging, and the human condition. They are also the author of Femme in Public and Beyond the Gender Binary. And to boot, they've been honored as one of NBC Pride's 50 and Out Magazine's Out 100, 
and they presented their work in more than 40 countries. Hello, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, excellent to meet you and speak with you. So first, just to clarify, um, I use she, her pronouns. How do you self-identify? I use they and them pronouns. So in a sentence, that's where did they get their lipstick? And I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. We're going to dive into deep waters right away, but I, I feel like you are used to that. So your artistry responds to violence against trans and gender nonconforming people calling for freedom from constraining gender norms. And you advocate for body diversity, gender neutrality, and self-determination. These are new ideas for a lot of people, ideas that might challenge what they were raised to believe. Might you be willing to share what these concepts mean to you? Absolutely. You know, it sounds like a lot of fancy vocabulary, but it really just boils down to my body, my choice. I think we grow up in a society that thinks that it knows us better than we know ourselves. And I'm part of a generation of artists which are trying to challenge that and say, you get to self-author and self-create. And that in fact, these norms do more to erase us than they do to educate us about anything. You are the best instructor on your own experience. And what that looks like is things like beauty and gender actually are infinite. They can't be just confined to, to binaries or to essential categories. And they're more like stories than they are like words. And to expand on that, we absorb and inherit views of identity, gender, and sexuality based on what you're describing as programming in early childhood, your upbringing, uh, faith communities, societal standards, fashion, socioeconomic class, geography, and media. and for those who do not ascribe to the normative narrative, it is piercingly clear to be an other because nothing is made with you in mind or worse, it is specifically designed to exclude you. In your uh, experience and observation, what are the most common myths about gender and identity formation that you feel are bringing the most harm to non-binary and gender non-conforming people? and consequently society at large. First of all, there's this very harmful myth that there's only two genders and two sexes. And this is just not true. Actually, for thousands of years in cultures outside of the West, there's long been an ancestral recognition of people outside of the gender binary. So what's not new is us. What's actually new is dividing billions of people into one of two categories and teaching them that that's the only natural way to be. Then the second one is that gender is fixed based off of what you're assigned at birth and that it can't be changed. But that's actually not true. In so many species of animal life, there is gender and sex transition all the time. In fact, gender and sexual diversity, I would argue, are a fundamental part of natural diversity. And that trying to eclipse all the range of possibility into one of two categories is not only wrong, but utterly unambitious. And then I think the third one is that gender is what you look like and not who you are. A lot of people conflate people's gender presentations with their gender identities. So oftentimes they'll say non-binary is the same thing as androgynous, but there are actually some non-binary people who aren't androgynous and there's some that who are. And my gender is in fact not about the clothes that I'm wearing or the makeup that I have on. Those are just accessories. What my gender actually is, is my energy. And so I always say, we've taught that gender is anatomy, but actually gender is about energy. 
that's actually in such an important point to bring up the word conflation because we've seen this as an amorphous blob instead of really being able to dissect all of the elements within which at first can seem really intimidating because there's terminology there's that learning curve but in essence is actually seeking to create more freedom and possibility by first acknowledging that we're not all just this homogenous species. And so I'm curious with your perspective, do you find any variation in the way that different age groups respond to your work? 100%. I mean, shout out to Gen Z because Gen Z gets it and understands that the gender binary is the ultimate TBT and that actually they them pronouns is totally grammatically fine and also understands that trans rights are more important than the preservation of arcane rigid uh, grammar structures because last time I checked uh, adults aren't speaking old English so it doesn't seem like they really mind when language is transformed as, except when it relates to LGBTQ people. So I think Gen Z by and large is much more accepting. I think a lot of the issues right now especially when we're looking at politics is a, a lot of older legislators who across the country are trying to legislate trans and intersex and gender non-conforming people out, out of existence. So I think it's really important in any conversation that I have to say, this is not just a theoretical sort of debate. This is actually a question about human rights. And that especially trans and intersex young people are being targeted by conservative legislatures across the country and in and, and states like Idaho, yes, but then also by the federal government. And this is all part of an orchestrated effort to disappear us from public to naturalize the myth that there's only two options. Because then you can tell everyone, see, there's nothing else. The reason that people like me experience violence is because we are a portal to another way of living. We actually suggest that there's an alternative, that there's an exit strategy, that there's a way of living that you can actually define what your body means to you, that you can wear what you want, that you can practice your artistry, that you didn't have to grow out of your creativity. For me, gender is a method of my creative expression. It's not some fundamental sense of being divided for the purpose of fertility and reproduction. To add to that, this is an invitation to expand one's consciousness overall. And that can really come against our own psychological terror barriers, which says, this is new information. It's not what I've learned so far, therefore I'm going to discard. And it really takes opening ourselves to the possibility that we were once programmed as a kid. And maybe that itself wasn't the totality of, of what programming is. And maybe not the cleanest or most correct or affirming or inclusive, complete, comprehensive version of programming. I'm considering what that must feel like as a daily experience for you. This seems like it could challenge your relationship to yourself in terms of building healthy self-concept and confidence and even self-trust. So in what ways have you had to create survival tactics to make it through simple everyday events that most people don't have to think twice about? You know, my entire life I've had to fight for the, ex uh, for the ability to exist in public. It's really at square one for us as gender non-conforming people. We are punished for being, for existing. So it's not even about what we do. It's not even about what we wear. It's literally about you're not allowed to exist. 
And when you're not allowed to exist, that means the violations against you don't exist. We're having to develop the vocabulary to actually say, I'm here and I'm going through it. And one would think that our natural allies uh, in the gay movement, in the women's movement would be supportive. But unfortunately, those, those movements and historically have also sided against us. So it can feel extremely isolating to see how people gain their legitimacy by distancing themselves from you. They say, we're not weird like them. We don't look like that. We're not pushing the envelope like that. And I think that what I really want people to understand is, is the point that you made, which is we stabilize this injustice by expecting gender nonconforming people to be resilient. I shouldn't have to be brave or resilient. In fact, people should stop spitting on me and laughing at me and threatening my life. In fact, we've so internalized the status quo that we call especially people with disabilities and trans and gender nonconforming people inspirational and powerful, but we don't question why they have to be inspirational. And in fact, that becomes a way of solidifying complacency because it's easier to accept, uh, expect people to be exceptional than it is to understand how you're complicit. And I think when it comes to the question of gender nonconforming people, when people ask me, what do I do to help you? It's actually, what do I do to help myself? Because a world without the gender binary and a world without gender stereotypes is actually a world that helps everyone. Trans and gender nonconforming people are blowing a whistle that actually we live in a world that prioritizes a mythology, a mythology of what you should be rather than an actuality of what you are, which means that you're not cared for in terms of how you actually exist. You're only cared for in terms of an aspirational beauty and aspirational norm. I've never met a stereotypical woman or man in my life. There are men who feel there are women who lead. And these stereotypes are just rooted in age-old sexism. It just so happens that gender nonconforming people experience the brunt of it. So what I really ask my audiences and people engaging with my work is, what are you doing to challenge gender stereotypes? It's not just enough for me to be doing it. And that brings up such an interesting perspective that if you don't see your own liberation tied up in the collective liberation, you may begin to approach this work, this allyship from the space of self-sacrificing martyr, I'm a hero, I'm a savior, as opposed to, no, if we're not all equally getting to the start line, none of us are free because my liberation is then potentially and most likely occurring at the expense of yours or someone else's. And that's not real liberation. So it's, it's very complex and nuanced and that kind of accountability with self is incredibly hard to do. And I don't know that we yet have created the culture and designed the culture around that kind of steep self-reflection. But I do think this time period is a time of reckoning and we are beginning to have that mirror held up to us whether we want it or not. I just, just want to respond to that point really quickly. I'm a poet and I recently read a poem in the pandemic that said, I'm sorry it took a virus to help me remember that we all breathe the same air. And we're in this moment right now where we have to reckon with the fact that we are fundamentally enmeshed with one another and that the mythologies that borders create borders between genders, between races, between countries, fall apart when we think about the poetry of a pandemic, which requires us to understand that what happens, quote unquote, over there actually affects what happens here. And I think there's two ways to respond to this moment. 
One is to continue to maintain a fictional difference that is actually just a psychological prison. And the other is to actually practice a form of spiritual vulnerability that says, I am because we are. And that recognizes that now is a moment of reckoning where the old ways of saying us, them, man, woman, this, that, subject, object, they're, they're actually gotten us into the situation. The only way that we can proceed towards healing for all people is if we recognize our fundamental interconnectivity. So let's go there and talk about proceeding with the world progressing rapidly and humans facing difficult problems and major injustices. We need innovative thinkers and we need new voices in the conversations around solutions and, and hope. From your observation, what, who, where are the biggest barriers for including and representing more voices across industries? And, and how do gender nonconforming people and allies unravel these barriers and create a different method and design? Like I said, we're very much at square one. I'm often the first visibly gender nonconforming person in most spaces that I exist in. And what little representation we have of trans people in politics, media, entertainment, and academia continues to be people who conform to gender norms. And so what ends up happening is that visibly gender nonconforming people like me aren't even embraced in this moment of trans visibility, which requires people to confirm people's suspicions about what a man or a woman should look like. But those of us with visible chest hair and lipstick, beards and highlighters, we are back-ended. In fact, I've been part of so many projects where people say, oh, look, people just aren't ready for someone like you. They'll say, you're just too much. And I've been told that my entire life, that I'm too much or never enough. And I'm just bored of it because honestly, people are committed to their own irrelevance because I'm part of a zeitgeist of people who understand that actually it is only through being too much can we even access anything that this kind of culture that's required us to mute ourselves to become palatable and digestible is more concerned with consuming us than it is actually with regarding us. And I'm interested in narratives that are thorny and indigestible. I'm interested in narratives of hesitation and poetry. That's why I'm an artist. I don't want to be easily understood. I want to be experienced. So where we go from here is not just about inclusion of historically underrepresented people. It's about recalibration of what culture should be. Culture should not be easy. Culture should be complicated. The most dynamic films novels, TV shows, are ones that spark and catalyze courageous conversations. We don't remember the boring stuff. We only remember the stuff that actually marks culture. So what we need right now is innovators who are pushing the envelope in every creative industry to actually do justice to the reality of the human condition. Because we live in a propaganda-inspired media industry that continues to only circulate sanitized narratives that are more about sculptures than the reality of human existence. I don't see people who look like the people I see on TV next to me, so I'm not interested in watching TV. The shows that I'm watching, like I May Destroy You by Michaela, by Michaela Cole, and all these other incredible innovators, are shows that I'm watching not just because they check a diversity checkbox, uh, check but rather because they present a compelling human story about what life actually is. So I want us to reframe the conversation around diversity to be less about tokenizing 
and more about recalibrating and actually asking ourselves, what does it mean to tell a good story? What it means to tell a good story is to tell an honest story. What it means to tell an honest story is to say that the majority of people in this world are not white, thin, cis. That actually the majority of people in this world also go through heartbreak and loneliness and loss and anguish and grief. And until we accept that, that people of color and trans people are not just accessories for Hollywood and creative industries to act like they're doing due diligence to diversity, but in fact, invitations to better and more compelling and urgent storytelling, I don't think will go anywhere. I have nothing to add to that. That is so helpful to hear straight through in those words. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I think the only question I have left for this, this conversation is when you look at the younger generations, when you look at society, especially maybe young uh, gender nonconforming folks, what advice do you have for them, for folks on this journey who are actually daring to tap into that creative space that says, we have yet to see what is possible because we have not envisioned what is possible. And I'm today committing to tapping into that infinite energy, infinite creativity. What advice do you have for them? It can feel incredibly lonely and painful to be the only or to be the first. But what I want to remind you is that you're part of a sacred legacy of people who've existed for thousands of years. And were so beautiful, so tremendous and so powerful that they had to be disappeared from history. But I've done the work over years of reading so many history textbooks, of learning and familiarizing myself with cultures across the world to understand that we've always been. And so take solace in the fact that actually you have ancestors looking over and watching over and guiding you and your creativity and your intuition are because you're tapped into their knowledge, that they've paved the way for us. It used to be illegal in the United States to wear more than three articles of clothing that violated your assigned sex. It was called the cross-dressing laws. And until the 1960s, people like us would be thrown into prison for being glamorous and public. But yet we came from ancestors like Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson, who went outside wearing makeup, jewelry and dresses and were thrown into prison and then dusted off their heels and went right back outside. Why? Because they understood there is no legitimacy to a law that is anti-fabulous. And to be fabulous is to not just define ourselves by meager articulations of law, but to recognize that my law is my divinity. And that is what I follow. To know your worth and to actually accept that you're part of a sacred legacy means that all of these insults to you are just mediocre suggestions. How can we find and follow and support your work and being and celebrate you right now? You can find me at my Instagram is at A-L-O-K-V-M-E-N-O-N. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. And thank you everyone for tuning in. There's a lot more in store. So I can't wait for you to experience the rest of this, uh, this day and programming. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Okay, so I've got a few questions for you now. Like Alok said, gender stereotypes hurt everyone, not just gender nonconforming people. 
you know, gender nonconforming people are feeling the brunt of it right now, but we all could stand to open our minds about what it means to be human and who's allowed to do what and why we ever thought we were only allowed to do certain things. And, you know, in the spirit of ultimate curiosity, I invite you to ask yourself what you're doing to challenge gender stereotypes. What about for yourself? What do you do to challenge the gender stereotype for yourself? Just curious. And if you want to share, definitely like post, tag me, share your thoughts, DM me, all that good stuff. Now we've arrived at our mantra portion of the show. I will give you three affirmations and I'll read each twice, then leave space in the third for you to repeat the mantra if you'd like out loud or just on your own. And remember, write these down so you can revisit them regularly to start making measurable changes in your mind and, you know, just unlocking your fullest potential. Number one. I celebrate the complexities and individuality of the human experience. I celebrate the complexities and individuality of the human experience. Next, I embrace that I, like others, fit into more than one way of being. I embrace that I, like others, fit into more than one way of being. And lastly, I expand my perspective beyond my current story of reality. I expand my perspective beyond my current story of reality. Excellent. Thank you for listening in on today's episode. If this episode would be inspiring and enlightening for someone you know or challenging, start a good conversation, please do share it and make sure you take a second to leave a rating and review with your top takeaway from this episode. I'll see you all next time for more Simplexity. It's anything but small talk. Peace.